Welcome to Near-Death Experience Podcast, the official source of audio accounts for the Near-Death Experience Research Foundation. I'm Chaz Hathaway, author of Life in the Spirit World, What Near-Death Experiences May Teach About Life on the Other Side. We're going to share a short experience today, and then we're going to go into several um, listener questions. And I have to apologize for my voice. I don't know if this is a carry-on from the uh, the last, you know, sinus issues that I had a couple of weeks ago, or or last week I should say, or if this is uh, something new. But uh, my voice is kind of giving out, so I'm, I apologize for that. Um, but um, I, and I and I want to say now so that you'll hear about this because I'll I'll bring it up again. But uh, I've really been struggling with time lately. Um, between school and trying to uh, get my business going and and the podcast. I really want to keep doing the podcast. I'm just struggling to have the time to do so, and I've been trying to find out, you know, and, and the, my business is just tanking right now. I mean, it's just, it's, it's doing terrible, and it needs quite a bit of time to try to get it going, and I'm not sure if I need to start something totally new or what, but either way, it's going to take some time. And I've been thinking about this and trying to figure out, you know, praying about it and trying to figure out how to make this work. And and with the podcast as it is, it's been taking about two hours to record, you know, uh, two episodes each time that I'm available to uh, do the episodes. And, and, you know, I was trying to think, do I have to put this on hold for a while? Do I have to, what do I got to do? And... I, I realized that I, there is another option, and, and that is to make them make them shorter. That won't make a huge difference, but it'll make a little bit of a difference, and and we'll see if that can make something of a difference in in giving me the time that I need for school and the time that I need for you know trying to get my business going. Because if my business just completely flops, I'm just going to have to go back to a nine to five job. Um, you know, 40 hours a week and so forth. And if that happens, I mean, the podcast, I'd be lucky if I could even do a once a week podcast at that point. And I, you know, I'm, I'm not asking for pity or anything like that. I'm just asking you to understand that uh, after today's episode, because I suspect with all the comments we have today to share that it will be a normal length episode, but, uh, but they may have to start being considerably shorter, you know, share one of these short experiences, brief commentary on it, and then and with that. I, I hate to do that because I love to be able to share multiple and then, you know, discuss it in detail. I just, I, I can't find a way to make this work um, time-wise if I keep going at the pace I'm going. So, um, you know, bear with me, pray for me, um, and and you know we'll see if we can keep this podcast going as long as possible. Okay, so today's episode is um, we're going to read the experience of Kay from Enderf.org. Kay says, "My friend told me she could make me pass out. I, being a naive eight or nine year old, didn't believe her. She dared me to let her try, and I went ahead with it, and it not believing anything would happen." She had me lean over and breathe really fast. She stood behind me and squeezed my stomach really tight. The next thing I remember is being in a void. Then all around me, almost as if I were one with them, were colors. More than are here on earth and a feeling of peace. I felt like I was surrounded by love, comfort, 
and peace. I also heard music, but not like we hear it here. It seems as one. It seemed as one with the colors. I felt like I understood this all and wanted to stay. Then a sad feeling, and I opened my eyes to my friends staring, very worried with uh, friends staring at me with very worried looks on their faces. They said it had taken a long time for me to wake up. It felt like only a few minutes to me. After this experience, I felt I could understand a lot of adult emotional situations, even though I hadn't had the life experience to yet account for this. As an adult, I usually instantly know people's true personalities, even when I don't care to know. This has been ever since I've had this experience as a child. I don't know what to call this, but I'll never never forget it. That's the end of Kay's experience. And something that I really like about this is she talks about the um, um, it, the music and the colors being one. So the colors and the music are one. You know, some people would call this synesthesia or something <laughs> to that effect, which is um, where your senses get confused. I, confused probably isn't the right word. Your senses take on each other's aspects a little bit. Let me explain. So, so for example, someone with synesthesia, if they ask, if you ask them, what number would you say red is? They will tell you immediately. Oh, red's a seven or red's a 12 or whatever. What number is green? Oh, green is definitely a 13 or, you know, and they just have assigned either, you know, it could be numbers associated with colors. It could be emotions associated with colors. It could be sensations like uh, different uh, uh, temperatures or textures or something. Or, or as far as music, they will say, they will assign music notes to different uh, types of colors or numbers or, you know, basically it's, it's like a crossover of the senses. But it, I'm almost left to wonder a little bit if synesthesia is a break in the separation that our physical bodies have. I don't know. That's, let me, you know, maybe that's not fair. One uh, form of synesthesia, a severe form, is uh, when you see somebody doing something, you feel as if you're doing that thing. So if, if somebody is chewing, if, if a person with synesthesia, this particular type of synesthesia, sees another person chewing, they feel like they're chewing and they're just, they're kind of disgusted by it. They're like, ah, get away from me. I don't want to see you eat. feels like somebody's stuffing stuff in their mouth. And it's, it's an unpleasant thing. If you, if they, if you see someone get slapped, they feel like they got slapped. So forth like that. It's, it's almost as if it's a uh, form of empathy or empathetic um, ability, empathic ability, I guess, that is, uh, rather, I mean, extreme. So anyway, um, I say that because this, you know, music and colors being one, it reminds me of synesthesia, but probably on a pure, uh, more uh, perfected scale. And it makes me kind of wonder a little bit if synesthesia can sometimes be that empathic ability spilling through in a, you know, kind of a different way, I guess. I don't know. Anyway, 
So interesting um, thoughts about that. Let's get to the comments because um, there are quite a few and they have, they're, they're all kind of related. And uh, I think what I'll do is I'll go ahead and read the three comments that we have here and then we'll address the, uh, some of the questions and so forth. Okay. And let's start with Lonnie. Lonnie uh, sent us uh, a comment before, I think we shared on the podcast, and he talked about a little bit about some of his own experiences, and then, and then he says that he, briefly, that uh, he has a whole other story about his separation from conventional religions. And so I, you know, I responded back and said, I'd love to hear more. And, and I'm glad I did, because here is his response. Lonnie says, Appreciated your response, and I'll be happy to share with you what caused a separation from more conventional religions. I went to church and Sunday school regularly growing up. While my parents did not attend, they insisted that I did, more so my mother, to the best of my knowledge. In the early years, I was a Baptist, and later found Pentecostal to be more to my liking. I was baptized twice, once in each church. wonder if they were trying to drown me. Just kidding. I'll set the stage now for the separation. I left home when I was 17 and wandered around for a bit, still working with my father's excavating company, so the family relationship wasn't completely destroyed. I was just a headstrong, independent young man. One of my layovers was at an Assembly of God church. I had great respect for the pastor and his family and lived with them for a while. One Sunday, the sermon really got into a hellfire and brimstone and how the only way was this particular way and that all or most other religious teachings were not only wrong, but would end you a spot, let's see, but would end in a spot just didn't want to contemplate, hell. He called out a few particular faiths, which I will not mention in case you read this on air, out of respect for your listeners, which may be members. I actually found a similar stance in most Christian churches I attended through the years. Some subtle, some bold in message, but the message was there nonetheless. As we were shaking par- uh, parishioners' hands as they left on the beautiful Sunday morning, and the last one left and pulled away, I felt compelled to talk to my pastor friend. Note, Chaz, I will say the faiths I brought up in uh, to him For your understanding, again, I'm cautious to offend uh, people or bring up anything hurtful. I tried to mitigate toward the philosophy. What is the value or harm of your words? If no value, perhaps silence and self-reflection is in order. I said, please tell me you don't believe in your heart that Catholics are going to hell. He said, I absolutely believe it. I said, so you're telling me that a child who has grown up as a Catholic, Buddhist, Muslim, or any other religion are condemned. Even though they practice their faith in earnest their entire life and were good people, you're saying at the end of all this, you stand before St. Peter or someone and they will say, I'm sorry, Lonnie, it was the church across the street. You were really close. I told him, I'm sorry, but I do not believe my God would do that. I believe he is a loving God. I believe we all fall short of his grace, but he wants us back home and is excited for the lessons we've learned and the improvements they bring to our soul. 
as years rolled by, I found similar attitudes in many religions. I am a spiritual man, and I do believe in God. And as strange as it may seem, I was saved and believe in Jesus. However, I was, or I also believe in reincarnation, and believe that there are many other spiritual leaders, but not necessarily like Jesus. I study a lot of archaeological discoveries, changes in translation, word meanings that matter, Dead Sea Scrolls, the Book of Enoch, Council of Nicaea, with Constantine, and the removal, or possible removal, and uh, let's see, and or possible removal of the mention of reincarnation. I believe it's good to think and to occasionally change my mind. I I feel I've grown stagnant when I don't. I'm pretty familiar with your faith. Before I retired. I had responsibility for Utah, and a wonderful gentleman, Richard Benson, worked for me and was a member. Quick, funny, uh, pas. I <laughs> have to stop myself. I forget how to, uh, I'm like, I know this word. Okay, quick, funny, pas for your enjoyment. I was accompanying Richard to take our large distributor in Salt Lake City out for dinner for a milestone. The room was chock full of LDS except me. Now, Chaz, I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer, but I knew not to order cocktails. I'm pretty sure they weren't served there anyway. What I did order, well, let's see, what I, what I did attempt to order for myself after dinner was a coffee. Oops. Most everyone was drinking Coke. I asked Richard on the ride home, and he busted out laughing. Great guy. He said, Lonnie, we have a joke in the church. You can tell a good Mormon by the temperature of their caffeine. Hope you hope that wasn't offensive. Your founder was a Freemason. I myself am one, and a York Rite Royal Arch Mason. As a Mason, you must believe in God. That is the end of our requirement. We don't care what you call him, and the Bible is always open during meetings. In York Rite, it leans toward and let's see, it, it leans toward, and in a final step, Knights Templar degree, you must be a Christian. I am encouraged when I run into people like yourself that are true Christians or faithful to whatever religion you identify with. Generally, it shines through without having to be told. I'll share, that, uh, I'll share the premonition with you later if this long email hasn't worn you out. Keep me in your prayers, Lonnie. Thank you, Lonnie. What a great message, and and I, I am very much appreciative of of the things that you say. And uh, I, again, I'm going to comment more on on these things after sharing the other experiences because I think they're kind of closely tied. But what a great message! Thank you. Okay, and this one's a brief one um, from someone I've been in contact with, and uh, and just for you know because I haven't gotten his permission to share it online. Um, I'm just going to read it anonymously. But he says, I'm at church. I find it hard to focus. I wanted to get up and say we have it all wrong. God is not a man in the clouds. It's called source and he's made of pure love. And it is in all of us, his light. They would freak. I don't know what to do with this. And uh, I would say to this to this uh, uh, listener, I understand what you're saying. That's, uh, you know, there's, there is so many, it's hard to know how to react when, when what you're hearing 
from one source that you believe and feel is right conflicts with what you are seeing in church. And, uh, and so we're going to talk about that a little bit. <coughs> Here's another one. And uh, this is from Phil, a listener also. Um, he is, he used to be a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, or I'm sorry, he's not an active member of the church. And uh, I think he still considers himself a member, um, but uh, not actively attending and so forth. He says, Hi Chaz, I really enjoy your podcast. I first came across near-death experiences about five years ago. I found that they contradicted my Mormon beliefs and contributed greatly to my leaving the church. I really respect your work and research. You sound as though you are still an active Mormon. If so, how do you align Mormonism with near-death experiences with regards to reincarnation, no judgment, and how many can come back and leave organized religion, etc.? Let me reread that again so I'm making sure I understand it. How many come back and leave organized religion, etc.? Okay. Oh, come back from a near-death experience and leave organized religion. Okay, I get it. I'm sure you will understand my question more than most. I tried to explain my feelings to my Mormon friends, but they don't get where I'm coming from. I love the gospel. At times I attend a Pentecostal church. I find less judgment there and no rules and feel more love and acceptance. I welcome your input. I consider returning to the LDS faith, but I struggle with the red tape. I value near-death experiences. They help me through a tough part of my life, or a tough part of life. I feel the unconditional love of our Savior through them. Because of this, I place their input and truths above the Mormon beliefs when I find a, con a contradiction. You sound very busy uh, with family and your podcast. If you have time to respond to me, I would love to have some advice from you. Although we haven't met, I would consider your opinion above my leaders and friends. Thank you for all you do. May the Lord bless you and your family for all your efforts. Thank you, Phil. Uh, and same to you. Uh, God bless you. What a, what a sincere and, and good response, a uh, question uh, to... Uh, and, and asking for a response, I am glad to share my feelings on this subject. And, and uh, you know, all three of these comments, the reason I, you know, I, I think the first one came last week to me, according to the time that, that uh, um, I got these and I record these, you know, like I've said before, a couple of weeks ahead. I got the message and it was after I'd recorded um, the last message for that week and then a couple of days later, the next message comes in and a couple, or in, I think the day after that, the next one came in. And I'm like, okay, clearly this is a great topic to discuss for the podcast. And, you know, a little bit more um, specific to the, um, you know, the, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints faith, but also in, in all faiths and, and especially those um who consider themselves exclusive or, or the, the religion that feel that they are the true church, as, you know, we talked about, or as the first uh, uh, commenter talked about and his, his pastor friend. And, and I'll, I'll comment on that briefly and just say that, uh, you know, I think this is common in most beliefs, that there are some who will 
suggest that anyone of any other faith is going to hell. And you may find that among members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. In fact, there was it's it's there are still people quoting in the church from a book that was published by a church leader, not the church leader, but you know someone kind of high up in the ranks that basically suggested uh, a similar thing to that that um, that those of a specific faith or or that the that the church itself was you know pointing people in the direction of hell basically kind of is is probably a better way of saying it rather than the individuals but uh, um, that um, publication was published and then higher leaders of the church the namely the prophet came to him and said that's not true you can't say that you can't go around teaching it as though that's church teachings, you know, your feelings are your feelings, you know, but you can't go around teaching that as doctrine. So he published a second edition where he corrected it and, and took that out. Okay. And the problem is, is that uh, people ever since then have still been quoting from that book and saying, see, you know, where this and this is the case when it's, you know, I mean, true, there could have been you know, tighter measures and, you know, they could have kicked that guy out of the church and all that. But that was not the intent of even the correction either. The, you know, it, just like um, those who who preach in church that, you know, those who aren't of this faith are going to go to hell. You know, anybody who teaches that, it doesn't mean they should be condemned and kicked out of the church or whatever. Possibly for many faiths, depending on the teachings of the faith, there may need to be a little adjustment of the teachings and so forth, um, but uh, but this is a this is a, a a common thing that you'll find in many faiths, and I think you'll find if you dig deep into the teachings of just about any faith, you'll find that it's actually much more moderate than that in general. Okay, now you know, one of the things that we've talked about a little bit before is exclusivity and being exclusive in your faith, saying, I believe that my church is the best way or the right way or whatever. You know, we talked about that a little bit. And and as I see it, of course, everyone's going to think that. Why would you be going in a direction that you thought was not the best way? And it's true that, um, that you can ask the question, well, is it the best way for everybody versus, you know, is this the best way for just me and so forth? And it is sensible to assume that if it's the best way for you, that it's probably the best way for everyone. However, it's also fair to think maybe it's not the best way for everyone. What I'm trying to say is let's not get down on each other or, or each other's faiths and so forth for our exclusivity or seeming exclusivity. You may find in one Sunday school class, one Sunday, somebody saying, everybody who's not going to this church is going to hell and that's just all there is to it. And then the next week, somebody else saying, God loves all of his children and, and is not going to condemn people for, for the church that they go to. You're going to find that in any church you go to. And it's true that some churches don't have a, you know, strict, uh, um, what's it called, a, a canon to go off of. They just say, we just believe in the Bible. Well, I believe very much in the Bible, but I can 
point to you many things in the Bible that seem to contradict each other. And I have my own feelings about how they are not really contradictions, but just appear to be. Others have feelings that say, well, this one's true, but this one's not because of X, Y, or Z, or whatever. And uh, basically what it comes down to is we're all going to have different understandings of our faiths. And, and so, you know, let's not condemn each other because of, of what we see as people or even organizations being um, uh, critical of other faiths and so forth. The, the fact is, is that most of us don't know fully what other people believe. We only understand what we have heard of what people believe. So it's, you know, it's not fair to condemn somebody for your beliefs when you don't really know fully what they believe. And, uh, you know, this, admittedly, my uh, words so far have been a little bit tangenty, and so I'm sorry if this sounds like a, uh, a tangent that I'm going on. But I, I do want to address some of these particular issues, you know, head on, and then others cover them more generally. So let's start out by addressing some of the specific things that are asked, and then we'll talk a little bit more generally. Um, Phil brought up the questions of how do you align Mormonism, meaning teachings of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, with regards to reincarnation, no judgment, and how many come back from near-death experiences and leave organized religion and so forth. Okay, um, I'll briefly talk about reincarnation, but I would like to link in the show notes to some previous episodes. I apologize if you've heard it and, and just didn't feel satisfied with with the response. You know, I I just, you know, it's, it's just the best response I know how to give. Had an episode uh, called um, Alternative, something like Alternative Views on Reincarnation or Alternative explanations for reincarnation, something like that. Um, I will link to that. There's another one that I will link to about judgment, and I hope I put it in the name of the episode. I'll have to search it out. I'm going to put it in the show notes for this, so you'll be able to find those at neardeathexperiencepodcast.org. So they will be there um, on this episode. And as for how many come back and leave organized religion... I'll just answer that one straight up. The It goes all across the gamut on that one. I've had members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints who have had near-death experiences, came back, and were stronger than ever in their faith. Others that came back and were like, wait, I'm confused about this, and ended up leaving the Church because of what they experienced. And more often than not, what seems to be the most common thing is that they come back with a new view on the faith that they already have, and they stay with the church. In fact, they're usually pretty strong in the church, but they they see things a little bit differently. They're not quite as as um, red tape-ish, if, if I can use that term as you used it. They have a little bit more leniency in some of their uh, views on, on other people, for example. They're, they, they're not... They're not going to be among the the uh, members of the church that say, for example, that Catholics are going to hell. Okay, they're not going to say that anymore. And there are, you know, like I said, you know, if, if you really look at the teachings closely, and it, it really doesn't take looking very closely, we don't believe that anyone 
is going to or going to hell for their religious beliefs. That's just not. That, that, that I just don't know um, how someone could conclude that other than the uh, the suggestion that yes, we believe that the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints was founded by God and that it was restored, meaning that it's the church that Jesus Christ established in his life, brought back to the earth. Yes, we do believe that that's the case. And, um, but some people conclude from that 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 means that anybody who is not in the church is obviously going to hell. Well, all it takes is a brief study of the doctrine to find out that's not the case at all. The point is, is that some of those hard, um, harder beliefs that people have that some people have in the church tend to be softened considerably when they come back from a near-death experience, and and they tend to be much more, um, much more uh, open to ideas than maybe they were before. You know, it was, it, it may have been, you know, very dogmatically minded previously, and now they're like, wow, God really does love all of His children enough to make a way for all of them to return to him, not just, you know, if if I strictly follow this guideline and then, you know, if I don't, then I'm doomed in some way. It, basically, it, it comes down to they're, they're much more liberal in their views when they come back, but they do strongly hold to their faith. In general, in general, you will find those who leave the church, you will find those who become much stronger in the church. It, it runs the gamut as far as that's concerned. Now, going back to reincarnation, I don't blame anyone who studies near-death experiences for believing in reincarnation. There is absolutely, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Precedent for the belief in reincarnation. In fact, if you don't believe in reincarnation, you have to come up with other explanations for things, which I do, because I'm... I mean, I know I'm biased, and I'm sorry <laughs> for for your sake that I am, but I'm not sorry for my sake because I believe what I believe. You know, that goes for everyone. I don't personally believe in reincarnation, and yet, if I got to the other side and found that there is something to this reincarnation thing, I'm not going to be like, oh my gosh, I was so wrong, because I think there is just enough opening uh, leniency in the teachings that there may be more to what we consider reincarnation than what, you know, a, a traditional member of the church would consider. I, I'm not saying it is a thing or that it, or, or that it probably is or whatever. I'm, I'm suggesting that I don't think it's there or I don't think that reincarnation is a thing, but I understand those who believe it. I am confident that whatever is the case, whatever um, is, you know, the full analysis when you can see everything for what's really going on, it's much bigger than any of us. Uh, you know, reincarnationists, you know, uh, uh, Christians, you know, Buddhists, I think we're all going to look and go, wow, it is so much bigger than I thought it was. Every one of us is going to say that. I'm confident of that. And, and so I think we'll look at each other and go, no wonder you believe this. No wonder you believe that. No wonder I didn't believe what you believe about this, believe about that. You know, we're all going to look and we're going to say, I get it now. 
I get it. I think that's going to be a beautiful uh, revelation for all of us. Just all of us seeing how little all of us actually knew and how much our full understanding of things can be united once we have that greater knowledge. And the point that I'm trying to make in that is that it's totally okay to not understand how these things coordinate. How can I believe in both the teachings of of my faith, whatever that be, Catholic faith, whatever, how can I believe in that and yet believe in what I'm learning from near-death experiences? How can I believe in both? Well, it's true that you're going to have to, you know, shimmy things to some extent in order to fit both of them in, but it may be rather than cramming one out that you can leave space for both and say, I don't know how these work because they seem to contradict, but I am accepting both on some level. It's totally healthy to do that. I think, I, you know, if there are things that we know that you're confident are not the case, it's okay to kick those out. It's totally, it, I mean, you have to. If anybody comes to you and, and tells you, you know, there is no God, there is no afterlife, there is nothing, we are, you know, strictly, you know, biology, and, and yeah, you can kick that out. I, I've already kicked that out. And, and yet, and yet, that doesn't mean I don't study science. It doesn't mean I don't study evolution and, and, and species and speciation and, and biology and stuff. I'm fascinated with that stuff. Can I explain how this all fits in with my religious beliefs? No. But I get hints of things here and there that go, oh, I wonder if that explains why this and this is the case. Honestly, I think we do ourselves a disservice by, uh, by throwing out the baby with the bathwater in everything that we do. We should accept the good out of every and any field and, and see if we can add to it with the good that we get from other fields. Does that mean we should accept every philosophy and idea out there? Well, no, of course not. We should throw out the bad, but we don't have to throw out the entire thing. And, and, and I say that because whatever your faith is, if it is providing you with enough good, stick with it. For heaven's sake, stick with it. If you find a faith that provides you better good, well, sure, go to that. As for red tape, I find that that um, red tape is not always the uh, the uh, fire and brimstone law that we often think of it as. That's not to say we should that you know you you should be in a faith and and not abide the principles, you should. If you're going to be in, in a church, you should abide the principles of that faith. But I mean, honestly, I mean, when you look at some of the things that are forbidden by some faiths, say, say you're Jewish, for example, okay, and you, and you really feel uh, a strong uh, bond to the Jewish faith, is it really going to hurt you to give up pork? I mean, you know, as someone who is not Jewish, I love pork. You know, I love hot dogs, for heaven's sake. You know, I, I, there's, there's a lot of foods that wouldn't pass for, you know, Jewish foods that I love to eat. But if, if you really feel a bond to that, why would you not give up pork? Even if you're like, I don't see the point of giving up pork. Why not do it in order to be in good standing in your faith and to be able to bring to the faith 
maybe some perspectives that they wouldn't get from, you know, their traditional uh, whatever. And and in in order to to expound on that a little further, I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about uh, something that I that I got thinking about um, with regard to that second email, um, where um, the listener says. I'm finding it hard to focus at church because I want to get up and say, you have it all wrong. God is not a man in the clouds, but is called source and he's made of pure love and it's all of us and in all of us is light. They would freak out. I don't know what to do with this. I'll first say before I go on to this explanation that because I believe this person is a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and there is precedent for both sides to that, is God a man? Is he a form that you could, I don't know, take a photo of if you were, I mean, you'd burn a camera, I'm sure, with all the light and so forth. But is he a physical being or, and a spiritual being as, as is discussed? Or is he this kind of amorphous um, cloud of light and love and unity that we call source? And to that question... We have to say, near-death experiences does not make that conclusive that he is this or this. I have talked to quite a few near-death experiencers who walked next to God, talked to him, saw him face to face, could describe the color of his eyes, the curl of his hair, and, and the sound of his voice. I mean, he was a man to them. And to tell them, to try to convince them that he was this light source in the universe, they'd say, well, he's obviously source, no question. And he's obviously light, but I spoke to him. I saw him. I hugged him. I embraced him. And I saw things beyond anything I could imagine. So there is absolute precedence for him being a man. But all of you know who have been following this, there is precedent for the belief that God is this this light that emanates to all the universe and that he is, we call him source and so forth. And I don't want to suggest that that's absolute contradiction. He can't be both and therefore we're wrong. No, no, it's, it's just like we've been talking about. There is more to this picture than what we think. Is he this physical man at the center of this amorphous light? Maybe, I don't know. Or is that amorphous light uh, a, 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 some kind of emanation of the Holy Spirit? I don't know. Maybe. I, I don't know. Is, is the universe itself emanating from this source? And was this source created by God? I don't know. I, there, there's so many answers we don't have. But does that mean we should just reject the question? Certainly not. In fact, we should explore it, recognizing that you're going to find some answers here. You're going to find some answers there. And in the end, while we're on this earth, we will not have all the answers. Those of us who are willing to ask and willing to explore questions may have a few more answers than those who are just doggedly sticking to whatever field they are um, sticking to, be that a faith, be that near-death near experiences, be that atheism, be that science. If you stick to one and reject all the others, then you're only going to have the answers that that bit offer. And some of those answers are going to be wrong. 
because you're going to have a misunderstanding of what's really going on between the seams. Which brings me to the question, or to the uh, explanation that I thought of. It's really an analogy, I guess, but I think it's a good analogy in terms of, of you know, because there, because there are many people who leave their religion, whatever it be, um, for because they say, what I learn from near-death experiences teaches me that all these churches are wrong. And I don't think that's, it's fair to say it in that way. Would it be fair to say, I learned from my near-death experiences that my religion, as I know it, does not have all the answers? Sure. Sure, I think that's fair. I think that's, that's probably fair of any field, whether it be science or religion or whatever. But here's the thing. And, you know, I was trying to think of a way to, to quantify this. And, and the only thing I, or the best way I can think to describe this is through the analogy of the edge. Okay. In ecology, there is this concept uh, and, you know, I study it in permaculture. It's a, it's a major principle within permaculture, which, which is a study of, you know, ecology and agriculture and, and, you know, sustainable um, ways of, of producing food and so forth. Anyway, um, the edge effect, <coughs> not to be confused with being on the fence, okay? You know, being on the fence between different ideas. That's a different thing, and we'll bring that up. But the edge effect. In an ecosystem, there is, say, for example, the meadow, okay, where you've got grasses, and you've got wildflowers, and you've got, uh, you know, maybe a few thistle and so forth. But it's pretty much you know, waist high and lower, and it's just a meadow, okay? And that is a mature, can, can be a mature system, and it's a mature meadow, okay? This can stick around for hundreds of years, maybe thousands, I don't know. And then you've got the forest, the mature forest, that again can be around for hundreds, maybe thousands of years in this mature form, you know, cycling, obviously, um, the old plants to the new plants and so forth, but it's a mature system. You've got the forest, which is maybe these tall, at least where I live, uh, these tall uh, evergreen trees, spruces and, and, uh, and firs and so forth, and they're just big and they're this canopy where you can walk through easily because there's not a lot of foliage on the ground because it's all shaded out. What you've got on the ground is a lot of woody material. You've got fallen bark. You've got um, pine cones. You've got pine needles. You've got, you know, all these broken bits of, of the trees that year after year a branch falls off here and begins to break down with the fungal activity under the ground. And, and there's just this, you know, and you have to dig down eight to 12 inches sometimes, depending on um, the, uh, how many people <laughs> come into the forest but if you find a mature forest that's been left alone for hundreds of years, you're going to have to dig down deep to find dirt because there's so much of this organic stuff that's just built up from the fallen material from the trees. And you can walk through this forest easily because there's not a thick, uh, thick foliage. You can walk through the meadow easily because it's only waist high and you're walking through tall grass and, and flowers and whatever. Okay, between the meadow and the forest is an edge. 
okay? And if you go to any forest or meadow where they meet, you will not find, here's the last big tree and suddenly there's grass. That's not how it works. The edge of a, uh, between a, a mature forest and a mature meadow, you get incredible life going on. There is, that's where the activity and the growth is so crazy. That's when you've got, you've got uh, uh, bushes and, and grasses and young trees and smaller trees and, and um, deciduous trees. And, and you've got, you know, brambles and vines and, and just every kind of level of, of life going on. And it's all fresh. It's all green and it's all thick. You try to walk through that edge and that's the kind of forest that you're like trying to figure out your way through and you're mashing your way through. That's the stuff that, you know, in the jungle setting you have, you have people like swiping, you know, their, their machetes just to be able to walk. And if you're with friends, it's whipping behind you and hitting your friends. There's just so much life going on, so much activity. Okay. And that the edge effect is the idea that in the edge between two systems is where the most energy and the most life happens. And let me, let me bring it back to what we're talking about. Uh, actually, before I do, let me, let me bring it in, uh, into another effect so we can, so I can illustrate it, you know, as far as humans are concerned. When I first started writing my book, publishing my books, I was attending writers' conferences, and at first I found it very difficult to be a writer among writers. Not, not that it was hard in the sense of, you know, that, that I was treated badly. I was, I was treated wonderfully. They were great. But, you know, it was like, great, cool, what do you write? You know, cool, yeah, that's nice. And you have this conversation about your books, and it's done. But when I started mentioning that I was a musician, because I was a musician long before I was an author, and, and I would go to writers' conferences and say, yeah, I'm writing a book and so forth, but I'm, I'm mostly a musician. So they're like, really? You write music? Well, tell me about your music. What kind of music do you write? And I, and I talk and they're like, wow, do you write music about this? And, well, well. And, and the conversations and the relationships became much more dynamic when I was a musician among authors than when I was an author among authors. And, and for the longest time, I just found that to be an interesting little tidbit that I, I, I had much more effect on people and, and much more um, effective relationships when I was a musician among authors than when I was an author among authors. And it wasn't until I learned later about this edge effect that I realized, huh, I was producing an edge I was a musician stepping in among authors rather than an author stepping in among authors. I was not another fir tree in a mature forest, which everybody understands. We all have our place. This is what we do. We've been doing it for hundreds of years. This is how it is. Blah, blah, blah. Or in a meadow, I am this, you know, grass. And you're like, yeah, we're all grass. Great. Keep doing what you're doing because we've been doing this for hundreds of years. Okay, when you get the edge between the two, where life happens, that's when things get interesting. And I say that, bringing it all back to this, 
you know, whatever your faith is, if you're a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, if you're a Catholic, if you're Jewish, whatever you are, don't ditch what you are or what you have been in order to embrace what you're seeing. You know, you if you're a tree looking out at the meadow and saying, wow, look at all the life that's happening on the ground. Down here, it's just wood and, and maybe some mushrooms and stuff, and that's about all we get. But over there, there's so much life happening in the ground because the meadows are looking up and they're saying, look at all that, that sky coverage. I mean, there is so much tall, grand, amazing life that's happening up there. And they're saying, man, I want to reject this in order to go there. If you do that, you lose the edge effect. And you're going to step from one mature system to another mature system. Rather than having the life and the power and the vitality that comes from having an edge. And an edge is, you know, so in, in the case of, of this, I consider myself very much in the edge of being a strong, faithful, active, you know, temple attending, weekly attending uh, uh, member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And I also consider myself a voracious near-death experience researcher. And are there things that I come across in near-death experiences that don't coincide fully with my faith? Well, sure, we talked about those. Uh, the reincarnation, you know, we didn't talk about judgment yet. I'm sorry, we'll, we'll get back to that. I will provide that link. But, um, but uh, yeah, so, so there are things that, that you know, yeah, I, I, have to, I have to say, well, okay, I don't know how this fully um, coincides. But in that edge between what I believe over here and what I, what I understand over here, there is such vitality and it's so fascinating. Because now I read scripture that is unique to um, my church, such as the Book of Mormon, and I read it with new eyes and I'm like, man, there's like three or four major examples of near-death experiences in here. And there's examples of, of teachings that I don't see in the Bible, but that coincide with near-death experiences. I wouldn't have that level of vitality if I was just saying, you know what, I just follow near-death experiences. That's it. I'm not sticking with the meadow. I'm not sticking completely with the mature forest. It's not that I'm sitting on the fence. And again, we'll get to that. I am exploring and creating edge within the forest so that there can be more vitality and life. You get the same effect with any uh, two interests. You know, you look, you can ask anybody who is a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, who is also an avid musician. They are just, they can play anything. They, you know, you set music in front of them and they, boom, 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 never heard this before and they ace it. You know, those kinds of people who are just really deep into music. And they are also strong, faithful members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I can tell you what right now, and this is a joke within the church, you will be playing the piano every week in church. <laughs> you are a coveted <laughs> person because the edge between musicianship and your faith is this beautiful, vibrant place where you are so needed. 
You are needed, desperately needed. We need you to play the piano. We're going we're gonna to have you um, lead the choir. We're going to have you play piano for the choir. We're going to have you do musical numbers like once a month in church. I mean, you are going to have your hands full of the opportunities to serve in the church because of that edge between your, your mastership of music and your faithfulness in the gospel. And I don't care what your interest is, whatever your, um, your abilities are, whatever your interests are, whether it be studying near-death experiences, whether it be whatever, you, the edge, if you go in and be a fully faithful member of the church, and also studying and recognizing what you learn from near-death experiences, you're going to be a much more dynamic individual, be able to serve so much more. You're also going to be able to offer to other near-death experiences who are coming and questioning and saying, look, I'm a member of the church and I had this near-death experience and I have questions. You could say, you know what? I can, I can, we can talk about this and we can have this whole community of edge where we understand some things that that we want to explore and talk about that maybe you don't hear in Sunday school uh, on Sunday and yet don't necessarily disagree but don't necessarily seem to fully coordinate in in all the same ways basically what i'm saying is that don't ditch your mature forest in order to leap full on to the center of the meadow. Go to the edge. Okay, now, I, um, having said that, I want to say this about being on the fence. Okay, being on the fence is a totally different concept. Being on the fence means that you're not accepting fully one thing and you're not accepting the other. That's the opposite. That's that barren land between um, you know, that's that space, if we're going to use the ecology method, where the water is has reached the shore and just kills any plants that try to grow there, but it also is not, it's too shallow for the fish. You know, so you've got um, this, this little barren place, okay? You could call it, that's probably a terrible analogy, but, but um, being on the fence means I don't accept either but I'm sitting here standing between them. You know, there is somebody on the fence about their faith, for example, would say, I don't follow the rules of the faith. I don't, you know, um, necessarily go to church every Sunday. I just, I just kind of stay on the outskirts and I don't get too heavily involved. And, and then, you know, I, I, I just, I don't say that I'm an atheist, but I don't say that I'm fully active in this. And, and many times, you know, we feel like that's a safe middle ground, but it's really not, I'm afraid. You know, you, you go to a dance and the wallflowers who, who are even so shy as to not even be in the dance floor, they're, they're just hanging out near the bathroom. What kind of experience are they having? They leave and they're like, I don't even want to be here. And so they leave. They're the fence sitters of the dance. They're not enjoying it. The ones who are on the edge are the ones who are saying, okay, so I know this isn't a popular dance that I'm going to show you guys, but I am really into social dance and we can make it work with this, you know, uh, hip hop tune that's playing. Let's have some fun. 
and they get out there and they just rip up the dance floor and there's circles forming around them and everybody's cheering them on because they're trying things that are outside of the norm that everybody else is doing. They're also the ones that are often, they know the line dances, so they're stepping in there and they're leading it. They're not just kind of going with the flow of whatever's happening on the dance floor. They're leading the dance floor. They're owning it. And and they're the ones who are, are you know, at that edge between what is traditional at a, a, a dance and what is possible at a dance. Okay? The fence sitters are the ones who are, maybe they'll come in for a refreshment once in a while, but then they step out of the dance because they don't want to be caught you know, making a fool of themselves out there. You see what I'm saying? And I'm not trying to insult anybody who is not sure about their faith. I understand you want to be sure about a thing before you dive into it, okay? And, uh, and, and so don't, don't take this wrong. I'm not, and I'm not trying to insult you and say you're, you know, being a wallflower or anything like that. This is just an analogy. I'm just trying to illustrate the power of having two solid places and bringing them together, okay? If you solidly really study these near-death experiences things and you fully accept them, okay? And there are people who I, I gather, or I, I not gather, I, I, I totally understand are, are studying this on an intellectual level. I would have to say that I am a little bit more intellectual than spiritual. No, I, I'm not even sure that's fair to say, but as far as the near-death experiences are concerned, I approach it intellectually, and then I glean from it spiritually. Let's, let's put it that way. Um, so, so the things that I find in near-death experiences that I don't get, I'm like, that is fascinating. It doesn't make sense to me, and I don't say, I can't say I believe that, but that's fascinating. And, I'm, and I put it on this intellectual shelf and say, I, I'm, I want to hold on to this so I can know what to do with it later. And then the spiritual things say, wow, I get that. The love of God. God is, is overall, you know, God loves us. We, we came from God. I fully embrace that and I let it, let it uh, glean into my spirituality. Anyway, I'm not trying to diss anybody for their faith if they're not sure, if they're on the fence with their faith. May I suggest that you do some deep personal reflection, that you do some prayer, that you deeply come to a conclusion where you want to be in terms of, of your religious faith, and then you embrace it with everything you've got. Because that's, you have to be out there on the dance floor in order to really get the benefits of it, but then don't be afraid to let your edge shine, okay? I hope that makes sense. It kind of reminds me of that, that old song from the 90s, I Hope You Dance. You know, when you get the chance to sit it out or dance, I hope you dance. Choose prayerfully, you know, really come to a conclusion what you want your religion to be and then absolutely fully embrace it recognizing that there's going to be things you don't understand in the faith. Of course there is. That's, that's the nature of anything. That's the beauty of them, honestly. If there wasn't things that you don't understand, if you could understand and accept it all in the first week that you're there and you get it, 
Well, then what's the challenge in that? What's the education in that? Where's the spiritual growth in that? But if you can fully embrace it, accept it, live by the standards, then you're going to find that this exploration of near-death experiences or your musicianship or your study of science or whatever it is, you can fully embrace that too. And you're going to find in this edge between the two is this beautiful, awesome exploration that is going to give you insights that probably very few people on this earth have. That's where a lot of your service to this world and to your fellow beings may take place. That would be my suggestion. Obviously, you've got you've to pray and find out for yourself what's going to work for you. That's what I would encourage. Anyway, I hope that makes sense. And I just remembered we were going to talk a little bit about the judgment thing. I will talk a little bit about it, and then I will link back to, uh, to um, that podcast where we talked more in detail about it. Judgment is an interesting word, and it's one that, uh, that is thrown around so um, often that it's kind of like a snowball that's picked up all this context and all of this stuff that that we tend to kind of roll it into into one big thing. And as a society, we consider judgment as condemnation or judgment as, as um, uh, punishment. And that's unfortunate, honestly, because when you look at, if you were to dive deeply into most religious teachings about what judgment really is, you'll find such different nuances that it kind of spreads out and becomes so depleted as to have no meaning at all. Which is to say that, that you know, this one over here believes judgment is when you're given that reward that you deserved or, or you know, were, uh, earned or whatever. And then over here, judgment is this courthouse where you're like, you know, well, you did this. Okay, well, that's a point against you. Or you did this and this is a point for you and, and so forth. Others will say judgment is the, is the uh, life review and that that's all it is. And then others will teach that, um, that judgment is, is this assignment into your final destination. Okay, and you're going to get so many different nuances of all these different things that if you just say we don't believe in judgment, well, there's because because there's some people that consider judgment as just the thing that we consider it in day to day atheistic society, which is judging between should I eat the green beans or the corn? I mean, that's a form of judgment. And so, I mean, it's spread so thin when you try to say, okay, what is everybody talking about with judgment? And yet the common elements kind of lump together into this really wonky thing that we call hellfire and brimstone. Judgment day is, do you go to hell or do you go to heaven? And that's really unfortunate because that's not the way that most religions believe it and those that do it's because they have these nuances of their own and this is how you have to accept it you have to do this and you have to do this or you get you know while other religions say no you don't have to do those you have to do this and you have to do this so i mean it's like whatever your conclusion about what judgment is it's not necessarily what everybody else is talking about 
And of course, you have to come to your own conclusion about what judgment means. I think of judgment, you know, we, let, let's use the analogy of being, you know, condemned in some way. Okay, a courthouse where you're assigned a parole officer and you're told, this is the detention you have to serve, you've got to do this. That is one view of judgment, and it's not the view I see from God. There is another form of that kind of a situation where in high school you're given the opportunity to meet with a counselor who sits down with you and says, what would you like to do with your life? What do you want to do? What kind of career do you want? Do you want to go to college? What kind of college do you want to go to? And they help you to take your desires, your desires that you choose, saying, I want to go to college and become a doctor, and I want to become this kind of doctor. Then the counselor says, okay, here's what you got to understand. Your grades in this are struggling. If you want to go to school, you're going to want to pick those up, okay? And here's how you can do it. What if we were to do this and help you to, to push you toward where you want to go? This counselor is not saying, sorry, but you have to go to detention because you didn't get the grade, whatever. No, no, they're not condemning you. They're there to help you get where you want to go. And I consider God as my father. I absolutely consider him as my father. And I consider him as one who wants the best for me. He wants me to be happy. He wants me to be joyful. And he's going to sit down with me at some point. And he's, and you know, he, through prayer and so forth, we have these discussions, you know, with, as if with a counselor all the time to keep me in the right direction and so forth. But there's going to come a point where the counselor, God in this case, is going to sit down with me and say, here's what you've accomplished. Good job. Here's what we can do with what you've done. And it's true that it, it may be that, that some of us will not want what we think we want. You know what I'm saying? So, so somebody who really wants to become an astronaut, for example, is going to probably have to get pretty good grades to get in a pretty good college. And if they're just slacking and saying, yeah, I want to be an astronaut, and they're just not caring, and D minuses in all their classes, they're going to have to fight a big, hard route to get to become an astronomer if they uh, are going to continue on this path. They can't continue on that path indefinitely and become an astronomer, other than somebody who buys himself a telescope and looks at the stars at night. You know, anybody can do that. But if you want to be on the moon, for example, or on Mars, or, or, or working to go to Mars, you're going to have to work hard. And, and these are the steps that you got to take. And you can take them now, or you can take them later. But do you want to become an astronaut at 80? Or do you want to be, you know, in NASA doing whatever they do at 25? Because depending on the kind of work you're willing to put in, you can do that early or you can do it late. And the way I see judgment is it's, it's when we've reached a point of, of working through this, trying just getting the best, yeah, okay, I had to go to community college, but I worked up, and now I'm, I've gotten to, you know, this grander college, and, and I'm ready to take on the role of, you know, a graduate who is, who is qualified to become, or to get the jobs to become an astronaut, and it's sitting down with that counselor and saying, here's what I can see as your option, and maybe that's, I, I, 
I, I hesitate to use that example because it's not perfect. I think God loves us so much he wants the best for us, no matter what. But he also leaves it to our agency to choose for ourselves what we do. And, you know, he wants us to be able to have the greatest possible blessings and love and joy and, you know, experience for eternity that we can have. But you can't expect to become an astronaut by just slacking and, you know, buying a telescope. Having a telescope is not going to get you to the moon. You're going to have to work hard in some way. And so, in terms of judgment, I think of it more as a guidance system, a guidance and a, and a help toward our final destination, rather than a condemnation. That's, that's one way of putting it. I, I, and the more I think about it, the more holes I see in that, um, in that way of looking at things, because, you know, we think of Judgment Day as being a one-time thing. Maybe it is, maybe it's not. I don't know. I don't know. But anyway, I'm going to link to the, uh, the Judgment uh, uh, episode. And, and I will say that because this, this specific individual is talking about from the perspective of a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, um, it helps to recognize that, that uh, judge, the Judgment Day, as is taught in the Church, takes place after resurrection which is after our experience in the spirit world. And, and so that final day, rather than being, you know, right after death, as, which is where we experience life reviews and so forth, happens later. And somebody who has died, gone to the spirit world and had this beautiful experience and comes back and says there's no judgment, well, that's only partially fair um, because maybe there was no condemnation, because, you know, that seems to be absolutely the case. But as for a judgment day, that would come after the resurrection, which if you weren't resurrected, then you never got to that point. Whenever that is in some distant eons in the future, whatever, I don't know. I don't know. But um, if you were resurrected in your near-death experience, then you're coming back you would be coming back as an immortal who can no longer die. So, I mean, that's never happened that I know of. Nobody's, you know, I mean, and I mean, there's probably resurrected persons on this earth acting as angels. If we could get an interview with one, if any of you are and would love to be interviewed, I'd love to talk to you. <laughs> and yet, I know that's not going to happen. I mean, you're, you'd pretty much be a superhero in our world. So, I mean, it's, obviously I'm being, you know, facetious here. This is, you know, not how things work. But the point is, is that Judgment Day, as we understand it in the church, is something that takes place after resurrection, which takes place after our time in the spirit world. And how long is that going to be? I don't know. And especially when you consider that time's not a thing over there. I mean, <laughs> who knows what... <laughs> Does it even mean a time later, or does it mean a certain level that we reach? I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, I feel like I'm really going off on a tangent now, so we'll go ahead and close up. Uh, but I'm going to reiterate again, the podcasts in the future are probably going to be a bit shorter than this for a while. And of course, there will be times when we get into tangents like this, and, and they'll go longer. And 
And I figured, you know, one of the things that I told myself when I set out to do this podcast is that I had to allow myself no set time period. I don't have to go a full hour. I don't have to limit it to five minutes. I don't have to whatever. But I'm guessing for a little while they will be five to ten minute podcasts. I don't know for sure. And I'd love to hear your feedback. I'd love to see more, you know, if we get more support of the podcast, more um, book selling and and Patreon and so forth so that it's able to offset, you know, the my business woes and troubles trying to get things going with my business well i mean yeah and i'd love to write more books and and create a successful business doing this i don't see how we could do that exactly you know sponsorships on the show i don't know i don't know i'm not really setting out to make this this big money-making endeavor It, it it's not that's not why i'm doing it but but if it offsets we may have more time to do Um, longer podcasts but uh, just wanted to give you the heads up they may be a little bit shorter for a while so anyway if you would like to support the podcast you can do that through patreon you can do it by purchasing the book also if you'd like to contact the podcast you can do that by emailing near-death-experience podcast at gmail.com and thank you all of you so much again